Are we going to do ASMR of Thin Mints? Hand me this book. Ooh, Stephen King ASMR, folks. I got another one. I got another one for you. Oh, no, D&D &D ASMR? Okay, all right. Let's, <laughs> all right, no, let's actually start. <laughs> Trevor, I'm so sorry, you have to edit this. <laughs> Never thought I'd have an ASMR podcast. Welcome back to the post-apocalyptic Panini Press pop culture podcast. So should we start with the book? Yeah, book first. We've been sitting on this book for... Uh, a hot yeah. second. Yeah, we recommended like this book. Months. I finished it in December. Yeah, we read it in <laughs> yeah. October. So I, I recommended this book on an episode that we didn't end up keeping because of whatever reason. It was bad. It was bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> we could have left that vague, but it was bad. No, it was fine. <laughs> they probably could have inferred it anyway. Uh, so but anyway, like. yeah. Um, uh, who, who wants to go over the plot? And Andrew just read the Wikipedia to us, so we should all remember a vague amount of plot. Yes. Um... Basically, at the beginning, you hear about this guy, Tim, who is uh, moving from... I thought it was Florida. Wikipedia said California. Wikipedia's wrong. It was Sarasota. It was Sarasota? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he's going from Sarasota to New York, and he's on a plane, and they're like, we need someone to get off this plane, and we'll take you wherever the hell you need to go by bus. And he was like, all right, fine, I, I'm in for an adventure. And he ends up in the fictional town of Dupre, South Carolina, and that's where shit hits the fan. But then you go back in time even further to learn about Luke Ellis, this kid from Minneapolis, Minneapolis, right? Minneapolis. Yeah. Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, who has special powers. <laughs> to, to zoom way out, it's Stranger Things, the Stephen book. Stephen King's Stranger Things. It's Stephen yeah. King's Stranger Things, but it's really cool how, like Andrew was talking about, it kind of follows two different um, narratives as the book, and then it kind of weaves them together, as you'd expect, in a really well, fun way. Really, there's like one chapter of the guy at the beginning, and then like... 40 chapters of the kid and then they come back together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They, was, they do that super well though, where you're yeah. just like, Tim's get because then when you hear the name Dupre, South Carolina, at a later point in the book, you go, oh. back and you're like, wait a minute. Hold up. As soon as he got on the train, I remember I was like, he's yeah. going to Dupre. Yeah. Because he had, Tim had talked about so much how it was like, there was the only thing in the town was the train track. Yeah, it was like a warehouse and train tracks yeah. in this tiny little one yeah. stoplight town. And as soon as Luke was like, look, a train station, I was like... Son of a biscuit. Problem solved. There he goes. <laughs> um, but basically, his Luke's parents are killed. He is kidnapped and taken to the Institute. That's the title of the book. <gasps> um, so he's taken to the Institute where they are basically running tests on kids who they think are either telekinetic or telepathic. To turn them into one of them, I believe, telepathic. They're trying to make everyone telepathic. Yeah. So that uh, they can, uh, spoiler uh, from later in the book, so they can kill people who that who, who have been deemed threats to society. Um, They're trying to alter the course of history yeah. using yes. telepathic children and in very inhumane ways. Like if the kids aren't powerful enough, you learn that they kind of have this back room that they kind of just turn them into vegetables as yeah. brain batteries for the yeah. other kids to use. They essentially yep. torture them until yeah. their powers like are, are wasted. And then by then they're like basically just vegetables and they their die. Their brains are mashed potatoes. Yeah. And it, I think they drew ties back to Hitler or something. Um, 
concentration camp testing. Yeah, no, like, like I think it was actually. Um, oh, what was his name? Yeah, it, it was in Wikipedia. It was in Wikipedia. Yeah. It was in the Wikipedia that one page. Guy, that um, scientist guy. I forgot what his name is. They drew, point is like yeah. the institute oh, kind of originated with the Nazis, kind of. Um, and how, like, if we had, <laughs> like, the director of the institute was like, if we had just let the Nazis do their thing, like, the world would be chill or whatever. It's like, well, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, Hard oh, to say. Hard to uh, say. Joseph, wait, I don't <laughs> oh, It's a toss-up. Mangella? Is that what it is? How you say it? Oh, yeah, just yeah. That, is it Mangle? I just Mangle? thought it was Mangel or something. Something like that. I just want everyone to know that Allison just Googled Nazi scientist. I did, but it came up. <laughs> yeah, just, I knew it was. yeah, That is the guy, though. He's yes. the guy who just He's used, one, yeah. like, concentration camp yes, members. Yes, like, do... Members, is that the right word? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Attendees. Attendees. Yeah. Yeah. Guests. Kids. No! Ew. No! Uh, Allison! Anyway. Yeah, he like did like just brutal medical experiments on them. Yep. Yeah, you know, was like, he the one that did shit with twins? Probably. Yeah, that and like he would like inject shit into people's eyes to try and change the colors. <sighs> what What's crazy about like the like the Hitler scientists, the Nazi scientists, <laughs> is they actually like they discovered a ton of stuff because they did tests that were horribly inhumane that no one was willing to do other than them. So like it by no means justify the means. But the end was pretty, like, the end result was pretty um, impressive. Um, so the one of the major questions you're left with at the end of the Institute is similar to that, actually, um, because you find out, oh, the world is, like, perched on the brink of nuclear apocalypse, um, to bring in part of our title of this podcast. Um, <laughs> and, and these kids are used to, like, help... Um, divert the course of history away from that in like subtle like oh this specific very influential terrorist dies or this influential um, person in Soviet Russia dies or whatever um, yeah. and so the question is like morally is it worth it and like if these is it Luke's fault for spoiler breaking out and basically tearing the institute to the ground if the world does suffer a nuclear apocalypse down the line. So what do you guys think about that moral quandary? Quandary. Well. <laughs> to be totally honest, I didn't really think about it. <laughs> How? Because That's like the was, whole point of the book, I know, man. It, well, I mean, I did. Basically, okay. But like dots and shit. Cool dots and shit. But like the, young the adult fiction. Lights. Tim is like Hopper. No. Honestly, though, like... I, I I was thinking about this like a half hour ago when we were, yeah, someone, you guys were trying to like remember exactly what had happened. Yep. And I was thinking about the dude with the lisp because he's like. Yeah, he's like the guy who's the, the director, right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he says something like, um, it's like, well, if if we, you know, yeah, these kids go through a tough time and like it's it's shitty for them and whatever and blah, 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 blah. But like if that stops a million terrorists or if it stops whatever and whatever and whatever, wouldn't you say that's worth it? And Tim is just like, N no. And he's like, no, you don't, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and like the right answer is no. I don't, I, to me it is. I don't, like, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm with Trevor yeah, on this I one. I don't yeah. think that that kind of, like you can't lose your humanity to save humanity. Like, yeah. If everyone just becomes savages for the sake of, everyone else's safety then you're not really preserving anything it's kind of like cabin in the woods 
Anybody remember Cabin nope. in the Woods? Never, the movie? No, sir. The movie. I never saw it. Tell, oh, it is, tell us about it. Holy okay. shit. Seen I've seen a movie that you guys haven't. Ooh. Amazing. Take a um, shot. So, <laughs> Cabin in the Woods, the gist is very similar. Is that, like, you know, you have five stereotypes of, like... Um, horror movies. No, not really? even horror movies, but just, like, sacrificial lamb type deals. But, like, mm. it's, it's, it is tropes of horror movies, but it's also, like, they, they put people in boxes where it's, like... You have the partier and the slut and the virgin, and it's like everyone has to die, but the virgin has to die last, otherwise the ritual isn't complete. Um, and then it's like a satire. Of it's it's a satire horror of horror movies, movies. Um, and okay. it's it's actually really fucking funny. But it's at at the end, it's very similar to the Institute of like, you know, these five people will die to save society and it's being orchestrated by teams of scientists working behind the scenes to make sure these people die in the right order to make sure they uh, die at all and at the end you're left with well and the, the the two main characters kill the director in that and they basically sit back smoke a joint and wait for the giant demon creatures that live underneath the earth to come up and swallow it whole and restart civilization <laughs> because they're like there's no point in <laughs> continuing a society that's gonna you know dehumanize certain people in order to save everyone else um yeah so it's it's honestly it's very similar (laughs) and i left both of them feeling like yeah it's it's i'm with tim on this it's no there's no justification especially with like Stephen King does a good job of like putting it into detail of what they're going through instead of just like, oh, and they ran some tests or oh, and they were strapped into an electric chair or shit like that. Like he goes in depth on what is happening to them and you're like, yeah, no, this is wrong. Yeah, when you see so, it in the first person, it changes it. Right, exactly. But then also when you see, because like with Luke, he like he was an example of like a successful test subject in terms of like they they turned him from telekinetic to then he became telepathic and then like he didn't have any like majorly um uh what's the word um like he didn't have any major side effects from any of the experiments but it's like and that like so you get to see everything that they're like putting them through but then you also get the twist where i don't think it was george one of the other kids comes back from one of the experiments or whatever his like session and he like basically has like a seizure and dies. It was the giant. The, yeah. It was the big kid. Yeah. Right. Oh, that was friends with the twins. Yeah. What was his right. name? I don't remember. Name? He spazzes out. No, it's not. He spazzes out in the cafeteria and throws. He's friends with like these. Yeah, um, he's like two a big ginger twins. wrestler. Yeah. Kind of guy. Like kind of a big teddy bear, and he has like a stroke and like essentially throws a kid across the room because he's like the the experiments like messed his brain up. Yeah. So yeah, you get to. You get to see that it really is just torture. It's really fucked. And um, they give you a really good example of, like, all of the people that work at the Institute are very numbed to what they're actually doing to the point where they have, like, generic corporate banter, like, like water cooler conversations while they're literally torturing children. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's a, it's a fun little, uh, oh, what's the word? Um, uh, it's like a, a, a picture, you could say, just of... Um, Society. 
Trevor, can you make the eye rolling sound audio for our listeners? <laughs> How is that? What does the audio sound like? I don't know. What do eye, eyes rolling sound like? I don't like? even want to think ASMR. about that. It sounds gross. Stop. God, Jesus. <laughs> I can just insert. Bruh. <laughs> Actually, Bruh. that is Bruh. the audio equivalent of eyes rolling. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I was thinking how funny it could be if Stephen King had, if he's trying to write for different, I guess, demographics, you could say, like yeah. different ages, like a young girl who, I don't think it's explicitly stated, but it's like kind of safe to assume that she's black. Felicia? Like, yeah, yeah, she yeah. is. I think he says that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like if you were to, if you were to try to write dialogue for some, for like a young black girl, it could so horribly go wrong. <laughs> like it could be so embarrassingly just... I mean, we, we listened Wrong. to it on, Allison and I listened to it on audio, um, and the voice actor was a white dude, mm-hmm. and it was definitely really funny when he was, yeah. like, he did, like, different voices super well, very talented voice actor, by the way, um, he did different voices for the, like, all the different characters. I think it's the same guy His who wrote, voice for Mrs. Sigsby book. was terrifying. Yeah, this, this voice actor did a lot of Stephen King stuff, yeah. um, but, um, it was to the point where you could tell who was talking, just, even when he wasn't giving, like, the, um, right. the dialogue attributions, um. And that was really cool. But he did try to do Kalisha's voice. And it was basically and it was just a, like a southern... It was a little... Yeah. It was kind of... rough. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, I think Steven did a good job of writing it, though. Yeah, I think the, the details of things like that are, were pretty well done. I don't have like very many specific examples because it's hard to yeah. just like. I mean, he first writes, of all, I read it a while ago, and also it's a big ago. fucking book. So yeah. yeah, he writes kids very well. Like I'll give him credit for that. Yeah, that's yeah. oh, it. Like Stand by Me, it's a good example of that. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. And it. And it. And it. Yeah. 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 I'm really glad there wasn't any orgy happening. Any yeah, orgies at all? Yeah, that was good. That, I mean, that was good. One <laughs> one less orgy yeah. makes it a little. We were um. Allison and I were talking earlier to change subjects a little bit about um, one of Stephen King's earlier books, The Mist, that we both just read. Um, it's not good. It's not a good. Probably I mean, it's okay, good. but like, it's not satisfying. The characters aren't compelling. You don't really like. I don't know. It's All like, of the things that the Institute does right, The Mist doesn't really. Yeah. Like it. It shows its hand too soon. Yeah. It doesn't leave you mm-hmm. in suspense. At one point, it's like. Well, I don't want to spoil the mist because we didn't really, we I, didn't really. I know the, the. There's not much to spoil though. <laughs> yeah, the movie was, that was directed by Frank Darabont, who did like Shawshank Redemption and that kind of stuff. So he's done some uh, Stephen King stuff. Um, he changed the ending, and Stephen King is kind of notorious for not being great at yeah, endings. Yeah, because didn't he hate The Shining? Yeah, I mean, that well, was that, that was there's just, a whole plethora of reasons. He yeah, hates that's the show. that was like okay. him versus that's, Kubrick that's of like Kubrick two, reimagining uh, what was written. Well, I know because he like changed a shit ton. That's I didn't like know. two yeah. titans of entertainment. That's fair. That is fair. And there's just absolutely no way they were ever going to work. That's and yet we all won because of it. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> you're right Except, about him being bad at endings though, because um, I'm not going to spoil anything specific about the mist, but the ending like. Isn't what, even paragraph it's two? not even an ending. Basically, the um, the narrative thought process of the person was like, you know, I, you know, there's no. Well, is he like is he writing a recording or something? Yeah, at the end? he like is like, like I wrote I write all this down as we're driving to something that I'm not even sure is like an ending, and then that's the end of the book. Well, see, what yeah. I was gonna say is, <laughs> and you're they, just like you didn't even like, resolve where what? it came from, what it is. Yeah, like, they changed the ending for the movie, and Stephen King okay. said it was like so genius he wished he had thought of it. 
Oh, that's great. So, yeah. Oh. I kind of want to watch the movie now. Because it, it's like it's a fun concept. And it, yeah. it feels like if you've ever, ever had a creative idea and you're pursuing it and creating it, whether it's like a song or a book or something, and then you realize you're completely out of steam, mm-hmm. it's as if he just put a period on the paper and sent it into his publisher. Yeah, and they were right. like, this will sell. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they got yeah. some intern to write the last chapter. Right. Because, I mean, like, the concept is good. And, like, the first, like, few chapters when you're just getting into it, it's, like, you're, like, into it. Because it's, like, you know that something shitty is coming. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, The creepy. suspense is great. The suspense is good. But then as soon as you get into the actual, like, meat of the climax, I guess you would call it. It's, I mean, it's, I don't know. I do wonder, though, like, how, like, the, the kind of elephant in the room of, like, how much... Stranger Things was the inspiration. Oh for yeah, for the institute this. because it's yeah, it does the, follow a lot of the YA tropes. Yeah, like. and there are elements or details, I guess, that kind of take it in a different direction, sort of, or add to it in a way that maybe things like Stranger Things, but even something like the new Ghostbusters movie is like it's young kids doing science stuff. Uh, it was like it's young kids. It's like it's like yeah. a Stranger Things thing, and then obviously something like this like it's like everyone's trying to get there yeah so i guess that might be a a good question is um is the institute uh an example of stephen king maturing as a writer i think there are better examples of that that we can talk about later if you want but um is it that or is it just him sticking to a more classical structure and therefore as like as readers we find it more satisfying because it's more predictable because i mean the institute had it was three acts. It had characters that are, you know, recognizable tropes. You have the cool guy. You have the nice girl that introduces you to everybody when you get to the location with all the yep. characters, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, you can see how the movie would play out in your brain. Right. It didn't, Which it didn't they did pick it up for a miniseries, similar really? to Mr. Mercedes, yeah. oh, yes. It Mr. Mercedes was the example I was going to bring up of him. Yeah, it didn't feel story. like it really went anywhere all that surprising or interesting i guess it, it kind of felt like a lot of like okay yeah yeah that makes sense okay yeah there wasn't like that like oh shit I, I thought it was point, i thought it went somewhere interesting with the end like the very end when the director of the institute explains what like the purpose of the institute was yeah because i didn't you know you didn't really know because you kind of go oh fuck was did they do the right thing or is humanity gonna end right and, like yeah i think that was the the most interesting part of also, the part where you you get to see back half and you like see the whole like sort of and that's something Stranger Things wouldn't do. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, but to me, Stranger Things, <laughs> Stranger Things kind of feels like like the science that was in Stranger Things was like unfinished versus like this, like in the Institute, like they very clearly have been doing this for decades and like is very thought out and like systematic. But like in Stranger Things, it's it's more of like an experimental. It's experimentation, yeah. Yeah. And for this, it's like an established. They've been doing right. it for so many years. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. But in a way, like, does that make it worse though? Because it makes you think that, like, oh, if they've been doing this for centuries, or centuries, Jesus Christ, decades, <laughs> like, how many kids have gone in there and just like right. rotted? You know. Like, I mean, I think Trevor, you you were talking about earlier when we were watching Stranger Things season three, um, that it itself is not actually original. That it's like heavily based on a pr- like a prior. It, like it wasn't 80s even like based work. off of. It was like I think stolen from. The idea was just legitimately were, taken from it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's not a ton of info on it out, but I happen to know because one of the the place I interned for 
they had like one of their artists or, or writers or something like he's also kind of like acts a little bit on the side and he was auditioning for Jonathan I think and he had uh, the, my supervisor we were talking about it one day and he like pulled up <clears throat> like script pages for like the audition like just kind of like sides it wasn't like anything that was actually in the show I don't think um, and it had like a temporary title because they didn't come up, hadn't come up with the title Stranger Things yet and it was the title of the show that it is accused of like ripping off like they didn't wow. even change it at all it was the exact same thing damn jeez yeah so it's just like wow I guess that is real cool so it makes you wonder like <laughs> was the-, <laughs> the the foundation of this of the previous like six years nostalgia based entertainment is all a fucking lie yeah what if what if the thing that stranger things ripped off of ripped off of something stephen king wrote right and this is his he's like this has been his I've karma had this for like let me show you how you do this <laughs> no 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 <laughs> Bring you're doing it roots. wrong <laughs> yeah. show you how it's done yeah um yeah i thought it was good i didn't I, I wasn't in love with it, but it was... There are better Stephen King books. Yeah. This was my first Stephen King this book. It's my, definitely good um, on-ramp, I think, for people that... Yeah. For yeah. myself, I don't like horror very much. Me either. Same. As um, a movie watcher or a book Same. booker. Um, I'm gonna be honest. When we started reading this, uh, like I, I read fast, but I only got like halfway through, and I did not sleep very well that first night, because I was like... Wait, so you what? got halfway through in like one day? Yeah. And then uh, couldn't sleep? Then I couldn't sleep because I was like, I need to know what's going on. And also I am terrified. Like being kidnapped, <laughs> even though I'm 22 and depressed, which like is beautiful in the world of the Institute because I'm fine because I'm both too old and not mentally stable enough. Yeah, so it's they're not beautiful. coming for you. They're not coming for me. But I was still like in the back of my head, I was like, fuck, I'm going to die. They might, um, they might be though. And then I like... You know, I finished it the next day because I like I was like I can't leave this unfinished because otherwise I'm gonna get no sleep again, and you know yeah. that's that's how I handle horror, which this wasn't even horror; it was thriller. Right. And yeah, I, I don't I don't see myself reading anything Stephen King after this because if this impacted my oh, sleep, oh yeah, no no no. Well, what is eat. it gonna do? Don't, yeah, don't read, not exactly don't rushing out to, to. I almost said eat. <laughs> don't read it. Not exactly rushing out to. Uh, what do you do at a library? Check out Cujo. Yeah, oh, I'm not geez. not going to check out Cujo. <laughs> um, Fun yeah. fact: He doesn't remember, remember. Yeah. writing Cujo because he was so high. Which has to be the scariest review for a book. Yeah, is the author doesn't remember writing. Yeah, a book. He, like, and he, he just exists. He, he read says. it. and He was like, "Yes, it's pretty good." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, it well." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love drugs. Yeah, I mean, The Shining is a metaphor for alcoholism. So, like, yeah. I know, um, yeah, uh, misery is a metaphor for cocaine use. Yeah, so cool. Oh, Steve. So you liked it, Andrew? I did. I did. Okay. I enjoyed it, but that doesn't mean so. If that's there, if that's the top of your like the ceiling of your horror tolerance, yes, that is the floor of Stephen King's yeah um, horror. Yeah. Just so yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's nice that you got to experience some Stephen right. King. Yeah, a, little, can, a little bit. You could probably there, read like Mr. Mercedes because that's yes. like a crime mystery Maybe. sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. If you don't get thriller, if you're not bothered by psychological like, thing. If you're not bothered by like going deep into the brain of an actual psychopath, then um, yeah, I'm not bothered. Mr. Mercedes that. is okay. okay. Some of us Mercedes. live in that type of brain. Oh no! So, mm. oh, so, God. so what would you? I'm not saying me. Oh. So what would you uh, rate you it? <laughs> Out of what on a scale oh, of whatever what? scale you want? I say we all use our own scales. <laughs> I'll okay. use metric. <laughs> um, I'm gonna use phases of the moon. 
Oh no. <laughs> on a just kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna just go ten point scale because that's just the easiest. Yeah. I, I would probably give it an eight. Um okay. there there's some stuff in it that I was like, that's too predictable, and there's other things like there's a character that they make you hate so fucking much because she's such a terrible person, and then when it comes oh, time gosh. to like destroy the institute oh. they're just like oh and she was thrown off the roof and i'm like no 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 you do not get to write her off like that you have to give me something you know how much i good. hate her i know you like, wrote that into yes the, so, the so one thing about that i would like to think i definitely imagined when i was reading um that she was killed by the chemicals because um as so basically this character we're talking about was in the process of going up to the roof with some toxic chemicals to essentially fumigate the children to death. Yes. Um, and that's cool. Um, that's really cool. Um, but basically the building gets telekinetically yeeted into the sky yep. by some children <laughs> in a really cool way. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to think that the chemicals just went all over her and she died in the air, like covered in shitty chemicals. That was kind of my imagination because she was like feeding it into the building as the building. That's fair. Yote into the sky. Yote. <laughs> Yote. But, but I mean, that's just my imagination. You're Yote. right that they yeah. didn't give us the satisfaction. And then at the end, like one of the things is that, oh, we're going to make sure we mention every kid by name. And then he left out. One of the more important kids who survived <laughs> Wait, the really? things. Yeah, Helen. Helen. Oh, holy shit. Literally, like, it's listing off, like, all the people that Luke has met, and it was like, friend of Avery, friend of Nick, friend of Kalisha, friend of George, and then it stops. It's like, no mention of Helen, no mention of Iris, and, like, Iris didn't survive, but, like, no mention of Helen, who survived, who was living on the farm with them while they figured out, hey, what's the plan gonna be to get these yeah. kids back into society? So, so some uh, strings were left Yes, just, dangling. like, like, it, it was kind of just, like, laziness. It, it was, it was, it just seemed, like, lazy. Like, as, yeah, it's fine, it's done, whatever, I don't need to check to make sure everything is... Mm. Alright. Perfect. Might be an that might be an editor. It might be an editor thing and not a Stephen King thing, but like that's that's why it's an eight and not higher yeah. for me. Like right. I really enjoyed it, but there's just some things where I'm like, eh. Allison. Allison. Oh. I mean Allison. I can go. I was gonna give it a four out of five, which is essentially the same if we're talking fractions, yeah. you know. Yes. <laughs> for similar reasons. Like I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um you know, would probably recommend it, but yeah, I thought there were pieces that were either predictable or didn't get tied up the way I wanted them to. But overall, it's good. Uh, I'm probably at like a uh, like a like a high six. It's like a, it's like a high six for me. Maybe maybe a low seven. Um, yeah, I mean, it held my attention. Like, and that's that is high praise coming from me because I don't like reading. Mm -hmm. <laughs> things, yeah. things can't hold my attention when I have to like just left, right, left, right, left, right. Le like, it's just it, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's it's an enjoyable um, modern story from Stephen King. He's still got it. He's he still does. he's still kicking. The hype is real. Believe it. <laughs> Yeah, John. What do you think? I would say it's. I would agree with like the uh, the seven um, high six low seven because um, I just read um, I read Mr. Mercedes and the sequel to Mr. Mercedes um, Finders Keepers just now and um, and like I really enjoyed the Institute while I was reading it. Like if you would ask me right after I finished, I'd be like, oh, it's an eight or a nine, probably nine. Um, but like it kind of gave me some perspective into how good Stephen King can be when I read Mr. Mercedes. 
Um, yeah, that is a fair point. I was like sweating and shaking in the car, like screaming at my windshield when I was reading the end of um, Mr. Mercedes. I like only listen to audiobooks, by the way. So like as I was oh, being read, when I was being read the end of Mr. Mercedes, because um, uh, I mean the the strengths of the the institute are its characters. Um, I would say he always does a great job with that. Mr. Mercedes goes even further um, with that, and we get a sequel with some of the same characters, which is great. So. Um, yeah, that kind of reset the scale for me. And yeah, it's good. It's really good. But it's not like... It's not great. It's, it's not, not quite a great for me. super duper hot damn like yeah. Mr. Mercedes. But. All right. So I think we all enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Should cool. we talk about the album or the movie Why next? don't we talk about the album next? Sweet. Dope. This one was also suggested by John. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm kind of... <laughs> Things are a little fucked up with the with the order. We're going to... Organization gonna it out. is not our strong suit. So um, my favorite artist is... Gorillas with a Z, a project of the illustrious Damon Albarn of Blur fame, and I guess of Gorillas fame by now. Um, but yeah, Blur was huge in in the UK, but not, I mean, not nearly as big in the US. So a lot of like United States music listeners are like Blur who, you know? Yep. Um, like way too many United States. Blur who? <laughs> okay, that was haha funny. Um, cool. Yeah, what'd you guys think about it? I've I've not listened to this album a lot. Well, until what just are we? What well, our familiarity with Gorillas? The three of us, John, Andrew, and I, are sizable fans. I would oh, say yeah. John's it's their his favorite band, his favorite artist. Uh, I would say they're mine as well. Uh, they're probably in my top ten. Or they're definitely in my top ten. I was gonna they say probably. Be, in your, they your might, son of a bitch. They might be top five. I don't know about that. But um, Allison, what about you? What is your experience with the Gorillas? I do not listen to them. Much okay. at all. That's nice and concise. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you probably, you probably heard "Feel Good." No, I mean I I I know like they're feel good. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I I like know them and I've listened to enough to know like. So as a very first. And time I feel like the- I feel like there's this requirement as being the uh, you know unofficial roommate of this household that I you know am somewhat familiar slash appreciative. Sure, so. With the works of gorillas and Arctic Not, monkeys. Okay. We'll get to that. I we'll, haven't listened we'll to any Arctic monkeys. Sorry. So anyway, as <laughs> as a first time, very first time listener, never heard a single song of theirs before. What was your first impression of their self titled? I'm sad this is the album I started with because to be honest, didn't like it very much. <laughs> That's, cool. Yeah. I, I understand that. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, um, it was a little. I mean, for someone that's never listened to the Gorillas, obviously I know like. But wait, wait. Let me stop. There's right no there. the. There's no there's the. No the. Sorry. There's also no the Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, that's not true. a band. It's Arctic Monkeys. Okay. Not the Foo Fighters. It's All not right. the Green Day. It oh. is the Killers. It is the Killers. Yeah. <laughs> it is the Clash. Imagine if no Thank one you. ever fought the Foo. Like, what would the world look like if we yeah. didn't have the Foo Fighters? Oh, okay. If the Foo remained unfought. Anyway, what you Foo Fighters. There'd be so much Foo if no one was fighting it. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's talk about a better band. I hate this. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I found it a little inaccessible and abrasive, just as someone who... Because it was like... I don't know. Obviously, for... Like, when he, like... When Damon started doing all of this, it was like... People were like, well, this is unexpected. And then they were like, oh... It's all right. <laughs> Close to the mic. Yeah, but I don't know. It's just like a time. There's a lot of songs, and a lot of them are just like... I, I wrote notes because I couldn't remember. Let me look at my notes. Go ahead and use those. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Andrew, in the meantime, do you want to in go In the meantime, ahead? yeah. Um, 
for me, it, it was nice to revisit this because uh, to be the exact opposite of Allison here, I actually really enjoy this record. It's it's kind of a nostalgia thing because I just remember like I think it was either the summer after eighth grade or like the summer after freshman year of high school. We were just chilling in one of my friend's basements and he had like a lighting rig and a fog machine. It was really weird. But we just like put on this lighting rig, put a fuck ton of fog in the basement and played poker at his pool table while blasting this album. I was like, this is especially when it got to shit like um, double bass and Latin semen. I was like, this is dope as fuck. Um, so getting back into this album was really a fun experience for me. Um, I, I, it's definitely, you know, (laughs) my third favorite, eh, maybe no third favorite gorillas album, um, behind their two much better albums, uh, demon days and plastic beach. But I, I did really, it is, it's an album that's all over the place and it's an album that, kind of doesn't really pull any punches because Damon was trying to figure out what would hit and stick, but I really enjoy it, and I would, you know, I think I'd give it like a six or a seven, one of those two, if we're ranking it, but yeah. Cool. Yeah, that last thing that you said was pretty spot on, I think. there It feels like Damon didn't really know what the project was going to be yet musically. And I think there are... I, have, I literally have that in my notes. There are a handful of <laughs> kind of half-baked ideas on here, I think. Yeah. Um, the sequencing is not great. Yeah. I think no. it could be a lot better. Uh, like, starting with Rehash is kind of baffling to me. It, it, it feels like one of those ideas that should have been moved more towards the middle of the album. Um, but then there... I, I kind of came into this, like... I hadn't heard the album in a while, um, and I didn't have a ton of love for it. There was probably three or four songs on there that I really enjoyed, and then there was, like, yeah, my my perspective on it was that a lot of it was borderline filler almost, like filler between the, those four songs. Yep. Um, but I, this time, but listening to it, this is the most I've listened to a record that we've talked about, which is like, I think I listened to it six or seven times. Um, and I really grew to enjoy it a lot more and appreciate those ideas that maybe seem, there are still some ideas that don't feel finished. Um, like double bass is just kind of, uh, I fucking love double bass. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of double bass. Yeah. It's not my favorite either, (laughs) but even some of those like smaller ideas, like, like I think punk is awesome. I think punk yeah, is literally, really great. Yeah, literally, it's like, what, like a minute and a half long? Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a short like, oh, little, Green like, Day's here, and then next. <laughs> it's this short little, like, Ramones-y thing. Yeah. No, I really liked, like, that kind of stuff. And then, strangely, my opinion of some of the songs that I remember liking more kind of came down because of this. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that. John, this was your oh, pick. Man. Go ahead. Do you, want yeah. me to, do you want me to read my notes before you go No, off? I want to go before you read your notes. Okay. <laughs> it's my turn! That's we were true. going in a circle. Well, yeah, but I didn't get to... Whatever. I know I've talked way too much already, but I want to keep doing it. That is kind of the point. Yeah. (laughs) Is that what we do here? Um, So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Gorillaz, and I also haven't really... I've kind of dipped my toes in this album. I think there's, like, one trip to Florida where I listened to it, like, twice, and I was like, oh, bet. But, like, didn't ever, like, dig into it. So it's kind of cool. I agree. It's definitely very um, underdeveloped. It's not very mature. It's kind of all over the place. Um, 
And I'd say that's its biggest downfall, but it's also its greatest boon because it's as if, imagine your favorite songwriter released their voice memos. That's just what this is. And so you get like, I mean, it, look, it's a, it's a pop, like it's a Brit pop artist that decided to make hip hop, which is very strange and different. And so he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And sometimes he just goes back to Brit pop in the album and you just go, okay. Um, and so it's like, it's just such a crazy, um, whirlwind of ideas where it's like, okay, this is super underdeveloped and sometimes it hurts my ears. But, um, then there's songs where he just nails it. Um, and it is so exciting to see like, um, it's, it's like seeing, um, it's not like seeing baby Yoda, but it's like seeing, a like, a. Uh, like a high school photo of a celebrity where you go like, oh my gosh, you're going to, you're going to be amazing. Like, yeah, it does, it, I was going to say, it feels very much like the band that would go on to make demon days. It's like, they're absolutely. not quite there yet, but you can tell that they definitely have the potential to make like classic records. So it's really cool to see all that potential yeah. in one place. That's yeah. That was, and we can talk about tracks and specifics of that later, yeah. but yeah. that's I the idea. Like I would definitely appreciate it more if I was more familiar with their more like well-rounded. Oh, work. that's a good point. It is your fault. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that I mean that was that was part of it because I went into this kind of knowing that I was probably not gonna like it very much. That's just the wrong attitude. Yeah, but like I because I mean what when was this released like two thousand one two thousand one yeah two thousand one and I was like oh man oh man yes and I, like, all music before the twenty so tens no, was that's was not bad. What I'm you could I just, say it was the second worst thing. If to it's happen. not produced by you Benny about, Blanco, you, then it's bad. Literally don't. <laughs> Go ahead. You have your notes. Oh my god, you can do I do thing. have notes. All right, Tara, just read my notes. Read literally not, every one of I'm your not notes. going to. Don't I'm just pick gonna, and choose. Let, I'll read some of my good ones. <laughs> just do text to speech. You don't even have to. Just you don't have to say anything. <laughs> Siri, read my notes. In fact, to me. please don't ever. <laughs> Go, go, go. Uh, my first note is those random song titles, Bonnie Bear Who? That's the first one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, are, you, are you referring to, like, New Genius Brother? Brother. Yeah. <laughs> brother. 5'4". And, like, four. and, like, and uh, yeah, 5'4". Well, 5'4 five four, is in 5'4", so that's not that random. Yeah, that's why it sounds like M1, a voice memo. one like, So, real quick, like, I love that he named his 5'4 song 5'4", because yeah. that's something I would do as, like, a freshman songwriting major, which I once was. Mm. Uh, I was expecting <laughs> double bass to be just like it's like but it's played on a double bass is it yes oh, yes but see that's why then doesn't have to be but it was kick pedal but like yeah see actual, i was thinking yeah yeah yes. yeah okay heard next note keep anyway, going okay here are my notes wait <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> continue okay so we've touched on a lot of these as well it's like there's a lot of for me just felt like a lot of like um like unexpected and like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of inco incoherent, not incoherent, incohesive. There it is, incohesive instrumentation choices. Because Four I felt songs. like he was really reaching for something that wasn't really like finished and like decided. Like, it felt very kind of he hadn't made up his mind yet, which obviously we've talked about. Um, and like, there's a lot of just like, like obviously like. Hip hop influences there. A lot of times, I would hear in the beat or the bass, or like obviously there were there were a lot of rappers just featured, um, stuff like that. But then there was like random stuff that he would, he would just like throw in some record scratching into like a random like synth track, and I was like, oh, it's hip hop. 
like stuff like it was just like I felt like it was reaching a lot for things that I couldn't quite. Would you say in certain respects it felt dated? Um, I don't know if that's the word I would use. Because there were parts that I felt that way. I mean, he, you could definitely tell that he was he was trying to create sort of that like 90s hip hop. Yeah, like, it's of its time. Right. And it's also not well produced, so you could say it's dated, yeah. I guess, maybe. Yeah, that's that's where I... But more nostalgically, like, like well, if, we, if you hear Clint Eastwood, you go like... You know exactly what you could probably name the year that was produced if, like, you showed that to a music person. But also, that's one of my favorite songs on the album, and that's probably wise because it felt like it had its mind made up. If that makes sense, there was, but that was one that, and it's funny because there are two appearances by Del the Funky Homo Sapien on the uh, (laughs) Uh on the record, and those are the two tracks that I remembered liking more than I did. Mm. Clint Eastwood and Rock the House. I, I like it. I. It felt like someone from a different era, like rapping as if it were a different era. And I wish I meant that in, in a good way, but I don't. <laughs> like, it was so 90s. Did yeah, no, Rock the House like felt hotel, so hotel, 90s to me. Yeah. It literally, like, I was listening to it and I was, it just made me think of that, that like, series we watched in our class in New York where we just were talking about like, oh hip hop evolution hip- yes. I just finished that today yeah like the it's, first it's couple a really good documentary series about, like all those early hip hop groups I was like no. rock the house sounds like exactly like like that's exactly the instrumental is great it's just like, I love it I think Bell's yeah. verses like on both songs are a, a much more so rock the house Clint Eastwood is a lot better but I think rock the house I was very just like Shut up. Well, yeah, Clint Eastwood has more like crossover into like more of like the Britpop yeah. sort of it's stuff. Also, it also has that that hook is just like right amazing. Yeah, yeah which is why like because it is like, and it sounds like, even oh, better. It sounds even better in the remix when they just speed it up like forty percent. <laughs> yes, right? of course. And yeah. a shitty beat under. Which I'm curious, Allison, because it's your first listen. Where did you end the album? Did you end it with M1A1, or did you? Um, or did you go into the remixes? I didn't listen to any of the because remixes. There's remixes okay. of oh my God. Because, I love the 19 2000 Because Dracula and Left Hand Suzuki Method are both bonus tracks, and neither of those oh, are Oh, I listened to both of those. And, uh, see, and I was like, eh. Yeah, yeah they're, no, they're, they're like, eh. Okay. But like, yeah. they're, they're not part wondered, of the album. Because the one that's on Spotify is like obscenely, it's like 20 tracks. And I was like, there's yeah. no way this is actually. No, it, it ends at M1A1. Okay, M1A1 okay. is the end of the album. Okay, because I like that song as well. Which seems like it should be the opener. Which I guess, yeah, you know, that's kind of true. I like, honestly, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a really bizarre choice to close, I think. I, I mean, I liked that one because I thought the instrumental, like, and the synth sounds were really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely probably, I don't know if it was the right thing to close the album with. Uh, I would agree. Yeah. I, I, do you guys want to talk, um, while we're talking specifics, do you guys want to talk favorite tracks on the record? Mm-hmm. Just in general? You said yours was, what, Clint Eastwood, right? I think so, probably. It's pretty iconic. Yeah. I mean, part of it is because I also had heard that one before. So I was mm. like, oh, something mm. familiar. Fuck yes. <laughs> but then it. also, like, <laughs> I, th- I think that one's, mm, it's, it sounds like just the most polished. Like, like it was, safe. it had like a, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe. Like, I was for like, the record, I was safe. just like, for the time, I was just not. like, no, but I was just like reaching for something that just sounded sane. And like, it was like, mm. that was the one that I, I was like, oh, okay, this is normal. Okay. Next. If I had to choose one from, like each half of the album, 
I would go Tomorrow Comes Today from like the front half too. and that was uh, Latin Simone Que Pasa Contigo from the second half. Yeah. I did not like I that I love that song. That one felt so much. <laughs> I didn't care for the pacing on that one. It felt like it kept going. It felt Have, long. Yeah, that, that one was is the most, long. I think that was the most um, out there, but yeah. not in like an, the abrasive, right. por- poorly produced yes. voice memo way. Yeah. It's more of like him trying to express something different. Yep. Which he really explores later in Plastic Beach yep. when he uses um, uh, the Syrian um, what track? Like White half Flag? the album? No, like oh, you're talking about the with album. the with the uh, the, the orchestra? Orchestra, yeah. yeah. Sinfonia Viva? No, no, no. There's an no. Or- it's like the like Syrian, Syrian the Syrian orchestra. orchestra. But if, if you watch the documentary on Plastic yeah, Beach, I need it to shows that, that like it, the whole album is heavily influenced by like his travels, right? Um, and the dream. That, I feel like that was kind of a little taste of that. Yeah. Which was exciting. Also, right. there's like sitars in a bunch of the tracks, which I was like. Was there? I think so. I don't. I'd, I'm going to have to dive back Unless yeah. it was a synth that sounded like a sitar, which I suppose is possible. But so you said tomorrow comes a day in Latin Simone? Yeah. Is it Simone or Simone? I've always said Simone, but like, I, thought it was I could be very wrong. It looks like Simone. Uh, let me see if there's an acento, but if like, there, if there there's, was, not, there's no accent. Simone. Okay. There's no accent, Simone. So it's. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But this I think name in Spanish, Simone. I would think if there yes, was an accent Spanish, on the E, it would be Simone. Simone. Or no. in, in Spanish, the second to last syllable is always the emphasized one, unless there's an accent mark. So it would oh. be Simone, I'm pretty sure. But it's also the second syllable is accented if you say Simone. That's going to be Simone, not Simone. But there's also not a silent E oh, in Spanish. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, yeah, I, I would probably say... So it's 15 tracks. I don't know exactly how like the vinyl would work in terms of first yeah, neither half, do I. half, but uh, I, would, I just split it at punk. I would probably say yeah, punk is my favorite from the first half, mm-hmm. uh, and then I really like slow country. Um, that one was one that like snuck up on me. Like I yeah, didn't, I that didn't one the reggae influence in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that one was like. Has fresh. anyone but me listened to the uh, dub album that they made from this album? No. No, okay. It's like Bass Monkeys versus Gorillas, Like a Come Home. It's actually a really cool dub album. Yeah, that sounds fun. I mean, dub is dub is hip hop before hip hop existed. That's right. like the pre genre yeah. of hip hop. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's it's it's just cool. It's it's not like anything groundbreaking. It's just like cool to listen to dub remixes of Gorillas <laughs> tracks. <laughs> which I put- I'm I was I've been trying to figure out how to like weave this in because I still don't see how it functions with this self-titled album but like I've read Rise of the Ogre and they've tried to explain the cartoon band oh God, the lore. with the whole yeah they've tried to explain the lore <laughs> I I get the lore with Demon Days and Plastic Beach I do not get it with this one no. like it it like I and I feel like part of the reason why what Trevor said earlier with the music not you know, having any sense of direction was because they were kind of focusing more on the lore and developing the characters, but they didn't do that through the music. So you had to buy the book and it's like, it goes through so many weird iterations. It's like, it, it wasn't it's, as planned out. As yeah. It could have been. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't, the lore does not work for me in the first, actually the first two albums really in plastic no. beach. It really comes to a head. Not even nicely. for demon days for you. No. And that's my favorite okay. album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, I, I, do, I do also want to give it up a little bit for Tomorrow Comes Today, because that was yeah. one that a lot of people love, and I was always a little bit kind of meh on it, but I know I, re- I really liked it mm. after hearing it a few more times, just because... 
I think it was maybe like there, it has like a, a melancholy overtone to it that was just a little like, oh God, why is this such like a rainy day type song? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It didn't it didn't really bother me the last couple times and I actually started to like like it a lot more. Yeah, I actually like that one. That was one of my top ones, I would say, yeah. on the listen. It's got a strong melody, which I think is uh, essentially like, yeah, <laughs> essentially like this album Saving Grace if you're someone that doesn't like it. Um, my my favorite my favorite song is Slow Country. Um, yeah. It's like it's so nice when I put it in my ears. My ears go happy. <laughs> my ears go steely happy. Give me the happy drug brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I did want to talk about. Um, I think you referenced uh, reggae, right? And yeah, and uh, Country, Andrew yeah. and Andrew referenced um, uh, dub. Both both genres heavily like involved with hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. That was something that like stood out to me on these further listens is how big um like dub and reggae and early you know 90s hip-hop and before um influenced it because if you listen to the bass sound um throughout the record it's basically just the like what would you it's not not like a sub bass entirely but it's just a very simple like it's just the bass notes. There, there are very few songs that actually bring out a bass guitar for it. And like double bass is titled double bass. And so that one's different, but like, um, the bass sound is identical for all of them. And it's the classic like nineties, nineties hip hop bass sound. And I thought that was a really fun. Like there's not a lot of like unifying threads in the album. So to find just one little simple thing was, yeah. was like, okay, okay, okay. You're doing a thing. Here. Yeah. Um, least favorite yeah. tracks. M1A1. Wow. Let me look at my notes. Hold on. Ass, and I don't like it, and that's all I'll say about it. It's just not my favorite. And I understand, like, we've talked about it before. I understand that, like, it's got a cool energy to it. Did you want to throw something when they opened with it when we saw them? um, No, because I kind of figured they would. Yeah. But I was just like. See, that tour was really interesting because I saw the last non-festival date with you guys Mm. and i saw the first non-festival date by myself in chicago and in chicago they did a bunch of shit off humans and brought a bunch of the guests like they brought anthony hamilton they brought vince staples they brought they brought like everybody they could and they actually did stuff off humans and then i feel like as the tour went on they were like oh people don't like humans as much (laughs) as we do time to change it up so they opened like Vince Staples came out and opened with Ascension for that show. And I was like, this is the pinnacle of existence for me. And then when they opened with M1A1, I was like, okay, I like the throwback, but it's... It's, it, it's, it's not what we're here for. It's though. not what we're here for. Like, it, if you're touring for an album, like, give us at least, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the good songs on that record. Yeah, and, and it's not a great... Humans isn't a great record, right. so I didn't mind them, like, playing the hits, especially yeah. as an old yeah. fan. But, like... I really would hate to see Damon Albarn go the way of, like, you know, Fleetwood Mac, where, like, not that, you know, I want him to be a legend like Fleetwood Mac, but um, I don't want him to become, like, play Dreams, play The Change, play Dreamers front to back. So he just, you know, I don't want to go to a show and have him, like, play Feel Good and Clint Eastwood, and then everyone boos him off stage for the other songs. What's really fun is that at neither of those shows... Did they play Feel Good? Yeah, they didn't play Feel Good at most of the last tour. I think, which is really weird because they didn't have all of De La Soul with them. Yeah, they brought them for Outside Lands, and then they brought them for Demon Days Fest, obviously because that was the whole. 
point think, of the festival. I think they did a couple performances where they tried to have like tracks do it, but yeah. they were just like, fuck I, I remember uh, when I saw them in 2010 on the Plastic Beach Tour, they brought out, um, I think it was Bashy and Kano to do freestyle over Clint Eastwood, and I was like, that's cool, but also weird. But then they actually brought Dell for the Chicago show, and then they used the tracks for the Atlanta show that we went to, and I was like, that mm. works a lot yeah. better because that is such an iconic part. So I understand them not wanting to use tracks. Was it uh, was it Glastonbury where they got Snoop Dogg out? Yeah. Yep. Th- that that's cemented amazing. in my mind. If you haven't it seen that, amazing. you gotta see it. That's it's, cemented it's in my mind awesome. that like you can do if you don't have your rappers available. You can do freestyle. Bring out Snoop. Bring out, like, (laughs) fuck it. I watched Drake and um, Gorillaz perform together. That would be, like, like, almost anyone just to get new takes on the songs. As long as 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 you got Damon. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. Your least favorite, Allison? Go ahead. Um, I have two that I thought were forgettable. She holds up her phone and goes, the album. Um, (laughs) uh, Man Research, parentheses, Clapper. Don't really remember what that one was. Also, Starshine, not a fan of that one either. See, I just, really? Yeah. Starshine See, is my least favorite. Okay. It's not my fave. Okay. They just both. They just felt boring. I just, eh, I was like, I really want to skip it. Because of the hook, I'm with you on man research because it's ingrained in my brain and it's so annoying. The rest of the song to me is like, it's fine, it's cool, it's chill. But then you get into the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, I'm like, I no. Damon, I didn't stop! Like it at all. <laughs> Please. Yeah. I, I thought that one was it's, headed in a cool direction. It was, it and then it's just completed. like ah, because like that the hook is, um, I like it a lot, um, but I feel like it was poorly executed, um, from a production side, which literally can ruin like yeah almost anything, because uh, it really is like I mean I always I almost always listen to music in headphones. I rarely listen yeah, on speakers, same. unfortunately. Um, I think music is better listened to on speakers, but that's just the logistics of life. Yep. Um, and so when you have something that's like abrasive like that and it is literally burrowed into your ear, yeah. it's a problem. Yeah. yeah, I would say that's my least favorite. Um, I can't really think of another one that I actively dislike because I like most of this album. Starshine! I, I actually kind of like Starshine. Um if anyone says a bad word about um, soundcheck gravity in front of oh, me, I will I fight them gravity. because oh, that song is amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, of the three songs with the parentheses in the title, that one is clearly the best, followed <laughs> by um, New Genius Brother and then like Man Whoa. Research just way at the bottom there. Like, it's just it, it was it was so promising. And then it just falls apart. Yeah. It's definitely a... I mean, look, you get a concept album next, and then yeah. a concept, concept album, album after that. And then another um, poorly thought out concept album. Well, we but, can talk about The Fall on a later <laughs> podcast, maybe. But uh, Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I totally forgot about that. Oh, yeah. don't forget about The Fall. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there. You and I will talk about The <laughs> yes. Fall later. But like, the, the fact that this album is followed by two like super strong albums that are also both very cohesive albums... And kind considered of, the best of their decades, respectively. Yeah, it serves to like kind of 
cast negative light on like how uncohesive this album is, which is really its biggest failing. But if you go into it, like what are like the good things from this? I mean, 19, 2000, we haven't really talked about that one. Much. No, we that's haven't. like one of the funnest songs. That's, no. that's there. It's got a lot of, it's, it has a lot of like personality and scrappiness. To yes. It. Yeah. Like, Those it are great feel, words to describe it. It doesn't feel like especially well-rounded, especially when you compare it to Plastic Beach and Demon Days. Well-rounded from, like, a song-song perspective? In, in like, terms of it, like, feeling like an album. This really feels like a, oh, collect, yeah, no, no, a no. collection of you meant the songs song. and half-baked ideas. Yeah, that I don't, definitely. You know. definitely. But still, it's like an 8, I would say. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's probably like a light 8 for me. Yeah. I'd give it, like, a 5. Sorry, guys. That's actually pretty That's good. That's better than I thought you were going to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For leading with, I did not really like this, a five is not that bad. Yeah. It does yeah, have, like, redeeming qualities, though. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah. I, I would not hate to, like, I would listen to it if I was, like, yeah, I wouldn't, like, dislike listening to it. I just was, like... So if you picked, like, eh. four, three or four songs from it and listened to those, you could have a good time. Yeah, potentially. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's not a... I kind of wish Dell's vocals were mixed a little bit less boringly. They're just, like... On top of the fucking song, and it's it doesn't sound great, yeah. especially rock the house. <laughs> uh, the, yeah. But that was the, I mean that's the nineties of style though. Like if that's what he was trying to emulate, like John, what am I rating it? Yeah, yeah. I mean I really like it, but it's a six. Like okay, it's so much weaker than most of their other stuff. I would say the only album I like less is Humans. Um, what do you, what was your score? I gave a seven, so we have a five, Damn, six, seven, eight. Damn, I'm the one who eight. likes it the most. Holy shit! Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of like with Stephen King. I'm kind of rating <sighs> it given the rest eight? of their discography. See, I would I say like, yeah, Demon yeah. Days is a nine, I, but they've got a I nine and a ten in their like discography. Demon Days so and Plastic really Beach, fair. my rating would probably go down. Yeah, yeah. Because like this is my first like thorough gorillas experience, and I mm-hmm. feel like yeah. If I invested more, it would change. I, I do want to say that's my rating for the album, but um. There's, I have a lot of enjoyment as a fan listening to it because yeah. of um, the nostalgia and then also just like seeing, uh, you know, the humble beginnings and like the, you know, the under the bed shoebox of cassettes. That's basically like what yeah. we're seeing there. Yeah. So I like it a lot more than my rating would imply, but it's as a musical album, probably not much higher than a six in my opinion, which kind of hurts to say, but yeah. <laughs> Andrew suggested a movie. I did suggest oh, a did movie. Oh, did and Andrew, tell us about boy. this. This in movie. case you who, forgot the three-letter name. Who made it? What's it, it called? Uh, it is Her by Spike Jones. Um, Who's in it? Well, the voice of Scarlett Johansson, uh, and also the star is Joaquin Phoenix. Joker. Um, Thank you. As well as Olivia Wilde is in there. Um, yeah, for uh, a bit. Rudy Mara, Amy Adams. Oh yeah. Oh, Amy yeah. Adams. Yeah. Chris Pratt. Yeah. Oh yeah. I Honestly, loved I his role Chris so Pratt, much. Chris Pratt was probably my favorite character in that movie, not gonna lie. He, he's <laughs> so I love how like Yeah, we could talk him about and him Spike, later. Him and Spike Jones are like made for each other. I hope Chris Pratt is in Spike Jones' yeah, next movie. He yeah. wrote Chris Pratt's character so well. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. So but anyway, let you go ahead. Yeah, I, it's t- tell us about No, yeah, someone else explain about. it because I was trying to explain it to my okay. therapist on Saturday and he was like <laughs> <laughs> and That's he was like, sense. "This sounds terrible." I was like, "I promise you, this movie is good." Yeah, so it's but like I'm really bad at explaining things. <laughs> if, you were, if you were to like give a, a synopsis, like I'm about to, it would sound a little bit funky. But basically, it's about a guy who's going through a divorce, and he really struggles with social engagement and expressing himself, which is kind of ironic, considering his job is writing letters 
to or on behalf of people to their significant other or to their family members or something like that. Basically, they tell him information about them and about the relationship, and then he kind of like writes the letter for them, which kind of there's a sense of irony to that because he really struggles to express himself, but he's good at expressing for others. Um, and then it, it's set in the future, but it doesn't really say when. It's in Los Angeles. and like the near future, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think it's good that they don't say when, but he's there are like sophisticated uh, kind of at-home assistants, like AI sort of things, and it's not unheard of really for someone to like develop a bond with them. And he pretty much starts dating his, which is the voice of... Scarlett Johansson's and he has phone sex with Siri. That's yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's a, it's weird. It's funky. Um, I, I I'll just say I've I've thought this was amazing. I loved this. It's really a good. lot. It really sticks with you. It has so so much going for it in every way. Uh, it's one of the best movies that from that decade that I've seen. It's it's like up there with your La La Lands and your parasites and that stuff i thought it was incredible i won't give too much of my thoughts away mm. but um yeah i absolutely loved it yeah so andrew go ahead yeah so now that yeah. <laughs> now that that's out of the way um and i don't have to explain what this movie is uh, <laughs> <laughs> again um yeah it's i really liked it um it's kind of had you seen it before i had not seen it before so what made you want to watch it um, you've met Spike Jones. I met Spike Jones. Oh, um, right. Yes. Um, is he spiky? No. Right. <laughs> He's got a spiky sense of humor. He's a walking though. Yu-Gi-Oh guy. Yeah, What's that guy's name? With the tear? Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, go name? ahead. You, Go yes. ahead. I didn't meet him when I was a child. What do you want from me? Fair enough. Um, but you two have yeah, I met, I met Spike Jones, um, right. after one of, one of my friends, uh, when we were in New York, Took me to Arcade Fire's Q and A with Spike Jones, which yeah. was actually the he's premise. doing air quotes. Air quotes yes, Q and A. It was the premise <laughs> for a secret show, which I saw coming and nobody else did. Um, so also that night, Win Butler almost broke my laptop, which is fun. But um, because wow. they, the security was really lax because they wanted to keep up the facade of a Q and A. So I had my backpack with me because I came right from my internship and then he jumped into the crowd during Rebellion and almost landed on it. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so not only did I meet Spike Jones, when Butler almost broke my laptop. But um, So you're like, hey Spike, okay. did you make a movie? <laughs> well, after, afterwards... And he's like, watch her. I had never seen her. Um, I knew about it um, because of the Moon song. Um... Which was uh, one of my ex-girlfriend's favorite songs at the time. And she's like really into movies. So she had seen her and I had not. But I knew Spike Jones from his work on music videos like Weezer's Buddy Holly. Um, and so I went up to ask him like, you know, working with a band like Arcade Fire versus working with a band like Weezer. What's the difference there? Because they're very different bands and very different people. And he was like, no, they're really not. They're, they're very similar. I was like, oh, OK, that's cool. Um but he was a really nice guy. We were the last people he talked to because he just wanted to get out of there. But he was nice enough to like not you know shun us when we were like, hey, can we talk to you? He didn't give you the soccer mommy cold shoulder. He did not give me the soccer mommy cold shoulder. Um, but he, but um, yeah. So her, uh, I was like, well, you know, I've met the guy. I've never actually seen his major work, so I might as well do that. Plus, I've heard very good things about the movie, and it ended up being really cathartic for me, which was nice. 
Um, as somebody still processing the end of a relationship myself, which is like really stupid when you think about the timeline, which I'm not going to go into here because that's not what this is for. This is for pop culture, not Andrew's therapy sessions. <laughs> Spare yourself but, and us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was a, it was a really cathartic viewing experience for me. Um, but I thought like all the performances were fucking fantastic. Chris Pratt was amazing. Iconic. Joaquin Phoenix was awesome. Was Amy, he Oscar nominated? I feel like he was. Um, no, no, he wasn't. He was Nobody not. Was. No, really? it was just screenplay, which I think it won, right? Yeah, it did win. Yeah, okay. that's good. Because wow. uh, it was a really well written movie. The writing was good. Cinematography was. I, I'm not an expert here, so like it was good to me as a casual viewer. Um, I do want to talk about the visuals at some point. Okay, yeah, it was good. Yeah. It was good in ways that a lot of people don't pay attention. To yeah, like like I, I pay I pay more attention to like writing and performances and shit. And everyone's performance was just spot on for the character that they had written for them. Even like Scarlett Johansson's voice acting was just really fucking good. It was yeah, so it expressive. Was really it was yeah. so it was so expressive. It, it like. They get into this argument at one point because she like is picking up on nuances in human conversation and is throwing them in to what she's saying, but like she wasn't doing that before, which as, you know, a human, it's really fun to think about Scarlett Johansson going into a booth and being like, "Oh shit, I can't do any of these things yet because I have to wait until the yeah, AI like would have developed what is it, like a sigh. It's like it's a sigh, and, and he's and, like, "You don't breathe." You yeah, need to do that. yeah, and and like <laughs> she doesn't do that at any point before. It's like so cool. it's it's really like watching the development of this you know relationship with a man and his AI, but also watching the development of the AI through Scarlett Johansson's voice, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's so well written, so well performed. I I really enjoyed the movie. And I'm glad that I picked it because I was just going through like, what's on Netflix that I want to watch? And I saw her. I was like, yeah, fuck it. I've met Spike Jones. He's cool. on like a fucking gem. Like, seriously. <laughs> I hate to sound like a, like an R movies user, but it does. It's I don't think it's crazy to say that like if Scarlett Johansson had been like somehow nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this, like it wouldn't have I wouldn't have been like, oh, shit, what the fuck is this? Like. Like she's that good. Yeah. Like it's yeah. just a voice just performance. A voice. Yeah. Like yeah. she has like the way she's built up, the way she yep. learns, and the way that she really slowly kind of progresses everything. And she has such a like flawless expression. It sounds so relaxed when it needs to, and so personal. Like you can almost visualize it. Like you can almost see Scarlett Johansson like being there. If you were to just turn the camera this way, like she would be there talking to him. It's like mm-hmm. that like thoroughly well done of a performance. It's really, really, really good. I would really be curious to know the logistics of their um, performance back and forth. Um, I assume they were just straight up playing her audio to him through the earpiece. She recorded after. There was a different actress who was on set. No No way. way. Yeah. Because I was so so impressed. Like you said, it's like you could picture her being there. It's, It's as if Joaquin was talking to like... You know when you're talking to someone that you're in love with over the phone, like, you're just smiling from ear to ear? That's like, you really get that sense yeah. after yep. after they kind yep. of start moving. And I loved that so much. It was such, like, just a delightful part of the movie. 
And like obviously that's not the whole point of it, but when yeah. you're in that portion of it, it was so great, so well done. Right, right. So it says during production of the film, actress Samantha Morton performed the role of Samantha by acting on set in a four by four carpeted soundproof booth made of black painted plywood and soft noise muffling fabric. At Jones's suggestion, she and Joaquin Phoenix avoided seeing each other on set during filming. Morton was later replaced by Scarlett Johansson. Jones explained, It was only in post-production when we started editing that we realized that what the character-slash-movie needed was different from what Samantha and I had created. So we recast, and since then, Scarlett has taken over that role. Uh, Jones met Johansson in the spring of 2013 and worked with her for four months. Yeah, wow. Jesus Christ. I mean, it's really cool they kept the actual actress's name, though. That's a really nice legacy for her. But I would be pretty bummed if I was her, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) Her. That's the name of the... So, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, that's that's cool. Do you guys want to talk about the visuals a bit? Because I never noticed things like costume and set direction, but... Or, like, color, and I this noticed is, them. Yeah, this is one where I think what makes this one so great visually for me isn't, like, oh, there's so many wide shots with complex color palette and whatever. Like, that's not really what... And that's what a lot of people understand cinematography to be, is just, like, oh, it looks pretty or it looks cool. But there's, like, a... I don't know if this was shot on film or not. I kind of don't think so, but it has, like, a quality that kind of... Uh, it, like almost like a graininess or there's like a it's, it's almost like misty or eerie like at every point like yeah. even on a sunny day like when he's at the beach like that like you really get that kind of harshness and crispness of like of, of the lighting coming in and those are like those are just much cinematographer choices as it is like where do you want this neon light to be that kind of thing yeah. like it's yeah it's 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 a much more complicated art form than the people realize and i think in all of the little ways this movie really excels and kind of creates a a visual style that's extremely it it, it affects the film in subtle ways but you know your brain notices those things it's also interesting um i agree with andrew that it was a very cathartic film um and we can talk about that more we need to talk about that more but um one interesting cinemat- cinematographical how would you say that <laughs> Cinemat- cinematographical <laughs> <laughs> you might just say cinematic camera thing that they did um cinematic that's probably it <laughs> one one really nice cinematic um choice was on the scenes there's many scenes where um what's the main character's name <laughs> the dude um Oh, shit. Theodore, right? Theodore. Theodore. Yeah, it's Theodore. Um, Teddy, yeah. Teddy, yeah. So there's several scenes where he's a very lonely man at the beginning of the movie, and there's several scenes where um, it's kind of just showing his face, and even later in the movie, actually, um, when he's kind of in his own head or talking to um, her. um, And they use the absolute smallest range of, like, focal length based like the the area of focus like a, a, I guess you call it a macro lens to where it's like when you're photographing like a, a hummingbird you use a lens where like the only like only like a square centimeter are in focus so like 
it's such an intimate shot where nothing else in the world exists except for his face acting. And yeah. his face acting was was so good. That's I mean that's how the movie opens. It's like a shot of his him like writing a letter, but he's like speaking it and yeah. it's just like his face. Right. That's you true. think he's talking to someone. Yeah, yeah it's really, like he's, he's yeah. just writing a letter. Because yeah. the letters are written by like in like a voice to voice yeah. to text, right, right. Or, and while he's narrating, it shows every like it's so close mm-hmm. and shows so many like of the miniature micro muscular movements in his face. Um, and I think that was a really nice way to like. Um, at some points, it's used to show isolation, and then later on, when he's in that relationship, it's um, a good expression of intimacy there, where nothing else in the world exists except for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just so delightful to watch. Um, and that compared with like, and then when it goes from that to like this, this vibrant world that's so carefully constructed and crisp and, um, yeah, just visually everything about it is eye candy, you know? Yeah. Um, any, any thoughts on that from you two and yeah, I found, Allison? I found the color, the color choices, like especially the shirts that Teddy was wearing. Like I found it very satisfying. Oh yeah, you mentioned while we were watching that they like often matched the room that he's in or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He would either Yeah, he would either like when I first noticed it is I think it I think it's in like the opening scene when he's writing his letters and like the office space that he works in is very like orange, mm. I think. And he's it's like wearing, red orange, yeah. Yeah, and he's yeah. wearing like a red orange shirt. And I I like yeah, I for a while I couldn't really yeah, no, I, yeah, because I think I I have a theory that I think the color, like the brightness of the color that he's wearing, is supposed to sort of show like his kind of like relationship to the emotion around him. Unpack that a lot, please. So like, yes. <laughs> so like when he's the office is very colorful, right? Like the office where they literally their jobs are to write emotional letters to people. From other people and the whole office color scheme is like oranges yellows reds like it's very pretty sure the windows are like tinted orange oh like, yeah it's all very sappy and right vibrant, yeah you know? and it, i mean it looks like a fucking kid's room like it's like mm-hmm. and then like he will often because there were scenes too when he's wearing like a pale yellow and he's like but the, i find the scenes that he's wearing like the brightest orange there was one scene in particular <laughs> i think it was when he was going on one of his like adventures with Samantha and they were like running around the city outside and he was wearing like an orange shirt and he was like the only orange thing in like the shot because he was so like his emotions were very like it like all the emotion in that scene was just like him and his relationship with Samantha mm-hmm. and like everything around him was like so gray and like Anyway, yeah. that's my theory. I would probably, like I a, would probably have to watch it again to sort of maybe pick up more s- specifics, and even if I'm right at all. But like, I think that might be part of what it is, because obviously, so much of the movie is about sort of like emotional vulnerability and like you know relationships, and that like I feel like that it has to do with something. With yeah, that. it feels like a painter is the one that like. Like a master painter is the one that like designed each scene and storyboarded it. They were very right, very like it's particular, and he only wears a certain. Like he wears orange, he wears yellow. I think or red. He he did wear, and I think he wore white a couple of times too. And so I'm, and I want to go back and see what the scenes were. He when wore he white. Met his wife. 
Was he wearing white? For the divorce papers. I think they were both wearing white. Yeah. White tablecloth, white divorce papers. Because that felt like, it felt like a very formal sort of. It was, yeah, sterile, very, like, detached. Like, there was a lot of, like, tension that was. she's like, you're fucking a computer? Yeah. (laughs) Right. And you could tell he was very, like, uncomfortable and stiff and not genuine. Yeah. And it was, I mean, that, but then, like, in the scenes where you can tell that he's his most relaxed and most sort of. I mean, emotional, I guess, would be when he was wearing the brightest colors. Yeah. But it's not like he's, like, completely unable to interact with people. Like, no. he has, like, a decent banter right, right, with, right. Like, with everyone around him. It's right. just, like, there's not a lot of, uh, like, depth to it. There's yep. never really right. any, any time that it goes beyond that. I think he tends to, like, stiffen up or maybe start to second-guess everything. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. see that on his date that... Um, that Samantha sets him up with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is is as soon as, like, she wants to take it further from, like, just flirting at a bar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, naturally, she was just, you know, they were just going to go have sex or whatever. But she was like, am I going to see you after tonight? He gets, he like, like, he freezes oh. up. He's scared. She calls him a creep. He's like, I'm not a creep. She's like, you're a creep. And she leaves. And so, like, he definitely is unwilling to, like... Mm go into that which i don't know that was a scene where i didn't necessarily know if the response that he was getting like her reaction was a hundred percent justified like no I no think, it wasn't i, I think, think that was kind of the point I well felt like it was- yeah but in a in kind of a small way where it's i don't think there's anything wrong with the way he was a little bit hesitant and he wanted to kind of like he wanted things to be slower he wanted to be more sure about things before being like so forthright as to say, hey, let's do this again. Like it seems like an easy thing, but uh, things like that tend to be for certain people very. Just it seems like a small thing, but it's not. Like it's a very yeah. Like the 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 promise of of more of me. Like I don't know what I'm going to feel like tomorrow. It could be different. It's hard to commit to those kinds of things for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well yeah. said. Yeah. And there was the what about the scene where. They have the surrogate. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah. I felt like there was only one way that could go. And yeah, it was that whole scene was so, just so just... It, it was great. So many questions. It was yeah. great. I loved it. It was great because it hurt so <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah. So yep. well done. Yeah. Like, you feel so bad for the girl. Yeah. So, yeah, spoilers. And him. Just, like, the whole situation yeah. was just, like, uh, yeah. So, spoilers. Yeah. Just, like we've, like we've been saying, Scarlett Johansson's voice is just a voice. Her character is never physical in any way. She's just Siri. Um, but she finds an online service where essentially um, it's not really a call girl, but you find someone that is passionate about what? Love? Like, what was it's, her motivation? It's, it's like they're, they're passionate about relationships between humans and AI, That's but like romantic relationships. She's between, like, not I just want like, them to seem more real or something. Yeah. Just, so yeah. she fucks the human while acting like the AI. Yes. The and, AI is like, the and voice part of it, there's, part of it is like, weird. no, yeah, the, the surrogate doesn't speak. And part of it is that she gets as much information as possible about the relationship before agreeing to do any of this. So that she can like really it it, it just really act the part, but then some of the like I, what was it? It was like her lip quivers, and Theodore's yeah. like, "That's too real for you know this relationship yeah. that I have with the AI." 
And then that's when they get into a whole argument over like, you know, oh, you're not really real because at said meeting with his ex-wife over the divorce papers, she was like, oh, you can't show any human emotions, but oh, you're fine falling in love with a computer. And so he, you know, gets <laughs> hurt by that. Yeah, the emotions can be real, like the like the feeling between like a computer and a person. I could suppose be real, but like there's only so far that you can take that. And I think what Remar's character was saying is like you aren't capable of, or you're just like you're always rejecting any sort of emotion that becomes real, like when it's actually in front of you and you're actually reacting to it in a physical way or. Yeah. Just in a face-to-face way where there's no way around it. You can't turn it off. Like, the person yeah. is there. That's when you start to actually get scared. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, at the core of this. the entire point of the movie is we're, we're becoming more and more distant as we are always with each other. But also that's, I just realized, that's a really good point. And also that's literally what he does for a living. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he he's like his living is almost sort of reflective of the way Samantha says she's always growing and learning. Like his kind of his cognizance emotionally is shaped by the letters that he's getting. Yeah, is shaped by what he learns about human emotion this way, and through the letters that he's reading and that he's writing for other people. And it's almost like it's it's really sad that he can't take that home with him. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes Joaquin Phoenix so good in this is that there's a lot of subtlety to how insecure and afraid he is. Mm-hmm. He's and, almost too sensitive because yeah. he's expanded his like mm-hmm. open mindedness to include so many different people of so many different walks of life, old people, young people, couples, everything for his living for so many years. Um, so like he's definitely left his own life by the wayside in that way. Mm-hmm. And then he encounters someone who's essentially perfect. Like, I I think it's important to note that um, it's a new product. The AI is a product that's, like, released at the beginning of the movie, roughly. He sees it on an ad, like, this is a new thing. And, like, not only does his AI learn and grow, but, like, the AI talk to each other and communicate with each other and kind Mm -hmm. of grow as a a species almost um, to the, like, this is a major spoiler. Um, sorry, we're just going to do that here. Um, it's just really cool because essentially you at first think, oh, it's about, um, a dude who is in love with his computer. But later on in the movie, you realize, no, this is straight up sci-fi because they start talking to each other at, you know, much higher rates and learning and growing. And essentially they're able to find a way, the AI are, um, able to find a way to, disembody themselves to the point where they are omniscient omnipresent beings and um i mean trevor and i were talking about this in the gym we were like i mean they basically become gods Mm -hmm. um and so it's really really interesting it's so theological the way that they say like we oh we have found a way to transcend physical matter yeah it's like this all knowing (laughs) all and you're like wait 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 this is a movie about scarlett johansson yeah (laughs) Um, so I thought that was it's really, under really the cool. skin all over again. That was really cool from just like a, um, like a religious or philosophical, um, stand, like, yeah, standpoint. Cause I mean, that's essentially what like a relationship would, with a God would be like, you can never keep up with them. And like, you know, within Christianity, it's like, Jesus loves you. Well, yes, but he also loves like the other 8 billion people on the planet 
and everyone that's ever lived. So it's like, it, it's really interesting. Like it's interesting seeing that play out in um, a one-on-one example where it's like, he doesn't feel special anymore. Cause he's like, how many people are you talking to yeah. right now? Yeah. That part was and it's so was many. Like 8,000. And I was like, Oh, and then it was, how, how many, many are you in love with? 600. Yeah. Like 82 or something. Like, yeah, imagine if she said 7.4 billion. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. That like, and so that's, that was a really interesting thing for me. Um, it's, really um really well executed i think yeah. it's it's a much better portrait of a man struggling with social issues than uh the, that other joaquin phoenix movie <laughs> yes <laughs> you can still haven't way. seen that one <laughs> um yeah. yeah i wish people related to this like well i'm sure they do but i wish more people were willing to go out of their way to watch this i mean fuck it's on netflix anyone can yeah you know it's also only like i'm what, sorry it doesn't have a fucking f- dc logo before it that doesn't <laughs> yeah, mean it's Jesus. not good god it's only like what an hour and 45 minutes yeah, two hours like it's not i i understand though um a lot of I, I think a lot of dudes are not willing to sit down and watch a movie called her that's about emotions um yeah. which is unfortunate but um it's so like once you actually like get into it, it's so well done to the point where like any any human being in the current society, um, <laughs> I had to say it again. Bye. I'm sorry. W- would would resonate <laughs> with it? Yeah. To a certain extent, I mean, especially because like modern technology, like, are we really that far away from shit like this? Like, <laughs> no, like we're we're not. We're lived. Like, I know exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. That's another that's, yeah. No, yeah, I think we're, yes. we're, we're coming to the <laughs> same point. We're all the same page. And that's kind of something that I liked also about it. Like visually, I guess you could say the mise en scène of it is that it, <laughs> bruh. Translate. Uh, it's basically like the visual style of the movie as a whole. Okay. Kind of the visual components. Like Tim Burton has visual has mise right. en scène. Yeah. Right. Wes Anderson yeah, has. Yeah. yeah. No, that kind of thing. Where like it's it's futuristic but it's also naturalistic it, it, like everything looks kind of cooler and sleeker but they don't push it too far yeah and there's like an there's an eerie ambiguity to all of it and it mm-hmm. really everything feels so escalated so grand like i know there's a lot of cg in it because the, a lot of the cityscapes i was about to mention know, that yeah it's like, LA there's so many huge, huge buildings yeah. that are that like in la has a lot of skyscrapers but like not this fucking many like even just typical apartment blocks are fucking enormous now mm-hmm. and like everything is so grand that it almost like dulls out the wow fa- wow factor and it's just like wow it, it is reflective <laughs> of the technology wow. Like, yeah, it's like, wow at how not wow this is. Because, like, I was watching it, and it didn't feel, like, futuristic. Yeah. Right. It, it just felt, felt sleek. Yeah. yeah, it just, I mean, it felt, mm-hmm. like, in terms of, sort of, the setting that they were, it, I mean, it felt normal. It felt Yeah, even even little like sets, like, like, Amy Adams's office or whatever, like, her home office where she's showing him, like, the new, is, is it, like, a game or something yeah. like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, the fucking video game, we haven't talked about that. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That was so much fun. <laughs> I know. That's so Spike Jones. I know. <laughs> and then when her AI was like, make her fuck the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? You don't remember that? Amy Adams's AI was, like, do that thing and she's like oh, all right oh, okay yeah, yeah, yeah she made the mom like, like hump, hump the fridge yeah, okay. yeah. anyway <laughs> you're failing was, you're failing your about, children <laughs> i was thinking about the other video game the little but kid, the, like the, the little blue guy oh that, <laughs> that video game up. yeah she sounds yeah. like a fat bitch <laughs> i thought yeah okay i thought you were talking about the video game that fuck Amy you was making. no fuck you <laughs> I, I love that reference to just it's a test <laughs> 
I love that reference to just online video games yeah. because that really is the dialogue happening. Yep. On, if <laughs> you're playing a video game online, it's either no one's talking or everyone's saying, fuck, fuck you. you, fuck your mom. You know, the voice is Spike Mother Jones. Beach. Right? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah Spike Jones. That's hilarious. It would be. It yeah. is. It, okay. It definitely <laughs> is. Um, can we talk all, just a little bit briefly? Because uh, I don't know how much longer we want this to go. Well, we Plus, have to I think we, we have to leave, like, right now. Yeah, we have, like... Okay. But let's... Yeah, some closing thoughts. I, I was going to say... I was going to touch on Amy Adams' character, but I don't know if we have time. Uh, she's really good in it. Um, um, yeah. Her arc is a little bit more uh, subtle, I guess. It's a lot more obscure. She almost feels like kind of a springboard of, uh, like... I don't want to say a plot device or like a character device because that sounds like reductive because I think she was like a character in and of herself, but it almost felt like the point was more to like be a, a, a foil. Yeah. Like something that Joaquin's character would be like bouncing off of and you would be learning like this based on that sort also of Also it's interesting too. I thought, um, how I guess, tw- I mean, toward the end you find out that her and her husband are getting a divorce mm-hmm. And so I kind of thought it would be, like, it was interesting that you see, like, Joaquin's character, Theodore, I just call him Theodore. You see Theodore sort of have to support her in a way that, like, he's like, oh, I, I went, I went through this. Yeah. Yeah. And she had been supporting him up to that point. Right. Implicitly as his, like, best friend after, like, a divorce. So that was cool, you're right. And the way that culminates, like, I I love the ending of this movie so much. Like, like, even just, like, the last shot, but also, like, as a whole, like, him overcoming, like, he's finally able to write a a letter for himself to his Mm ex-wife. Like, kind of... That was really satisfying. Yeah, Yeah. accepting that responsibility, like, both for, like, the failure of the marriage and also for the emotions that he's feeling, like, finally facing up to it. Yeah. And then, like, the, the the very end scene of them, like, on the roof of the building, just, it's, like, just two people looking over this fucking futuristic metropolis kind of rising above it and, like, feeling... The last scene feel, Like, felt... feeling together. I was gonna say feeling sad together, but that's not yeah. so much the point so much as that they're willing with what they're feeling. It also they're just felt, like, it. reflective. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was kind of, like, the last scene to me just felt like, oh, like, every part of this is, like, just reflective. Like, he's... You know, obviously reflecting in the letter, and they're sitting there together, probably looking at a city, reflecting about their lives and their emotions and their relationships. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great ending. So watch it, guys. Watch Go the movie. Watch um, I watched the movie originally in high school. I watched it again in college on Valentine's Day. Don't watch it in college on Valentine's oh, Day no. with your girlfriend. It's really not something. I mean, it's okay, but like, it's a lot, and it's not that kind of movie. You said your perception of it has changed, a and lot it really has. Oh God, I don't. I want to wrap things up here, but like, just just go watch it. It's so it's good. Really good. Rating ten. Whoa. Yeah. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it an eight. Okay. I would say nine. Uh, ten out of ten. Make another movie, please, Spike. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really story. quickly. Next yeah. next episode. Who's doing what? Oh, Allison's fuck. doing oh, the movie. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What are we doing? Hold um, on. Uh, Allison's got the movie. I got the movie. Oh my god! Okay. Um, I'm choosing the movie Snowpiercer, Woo! which is another nice. film From by our, our friend, friend. Uh, close friend, personal friend, <laughs> first name basis. But I don't even remember what oh, his name. Oh, oh, there we go! I got it! I got it! I got it! I got it! I got it. Sorry. No, I'm just saying it's last night. Uh, Andrew's got the next oh. album. Yes, I have the next album, and then there's uh, oh, we man. we kind of got into this subject a little bit um, on. Oh. This one, because of the way gorillas are, 
but there's nothing that white folks love talking more about than hip hop. Oh, oh hell yeah! Um, oh, cool. So we're gonna talk about more hip hop. Uh, we're we're gonna go with um, Reachin', a new refutation of time and space by Diggable Planets. Oh, okay. Ooh, okay. Yes. Okay. Best known for the song uh, "Rebirth of Slick Cool Like Dat." But they are, they are so much more than that song, and this album is way more than that song, and we're going to get into that okay, next so time, because I love this album right or not. so we're, much. We're probably going to, we were planning on doing these episodes like every, like three or so weeks. We'll probably be able to do this maybe even next week, I don't know. Hopefully. Um, because the book I'm suggesting is The Auteur. It is a comic book. Yes, I cheated. Oh, Woo! Shit. <laughs> uh, yes. I, Can I, we read it together because there's only one copy? I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> you guys, no, like looking over each other's yeah. I can read it. In I like, read it in less than an hour oh, and I suck at reading it. Oh, just share it around. Okay. Yeah, 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 I, like, do it that makes more time. sense, actually. Uh, <laughs> just, just, a little, just a little, pr- little preface. Uh, it is graphic, literally. Okay. It is fucked up. Uh, it's Good. weird and psychedelic. <laughs> okay, um, that's my shit. It's great. I love uh-huh. it. Uh, I was gonna, shit. I was gonna that's read weird. it on the plane uh, when I was flying home this last weekend, uh, but then I flipped it open and so, like the first page I flipped it open to, I was like. Oh, I can't read this on a plane. <laughs> oh, <good. laughs> I was like, oh shit. I'm Hell yeah. See, I'm you'll, and you'll know what page it is when you get to it. Is there an orgy? <laughs> because, because you're going to think it's the page before. You'll be like, oh, this is it. Then you'll flip to the next page and be like, oh, we know this is definitely it. Okay. Right. <laughs> good to know. Well, okay, all right. Because it's so much more like blatant. It's just the entire page. It's just yeah. a penis? Dope. Okay. Almost. Oh. <laughs> A vagina? You'll see. You'll okay. see. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so Snowpiercer, Diggable Planets, and Altour. What's our bracket again? Our uh, bracket next time is Irrational Childhood Fears. Oh, we'll yeah. do that one next. Yeah. We'll do that one and next. Maybe another bracket first, but hopefully we'll be able to get to our, yeah, um, our real podcast be too long. episode I th- Honestly, next. I think the hard thing is going to be me getting into the album enough times, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, true. Yeah. Cool. Sweet, that's it. Yay. I hope it's still recording. I hope it's still recording. I hope it's still recording. I haven't checked to see if it's still recording the whole time. Um, back. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. It is. Okay, this is the end. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Bruh. Bruh. Bye. 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 Bye.